0: All right. Well, um, I'm, I'm really happy to be able to share with us this morning, um, and uh, we, we want to start a new series for the next few weeks um, called All Things New, and the, the idea for this series is taken out of Isaiah 43, and I just want to read four verses out of Isaiah 43 um, as something that I think will help guide us over the next few weeks, um, but... This is what is said in verse 18 of Isaiah 43. The writer says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. To give drink to my chosen people, the people who I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. This passage, um, the verses just prior to it um, are talking about how God took the people of Israel through the Red Sea. And it's not that he's saying, because in other passages and other places in scripture, he's not saying, like, just forget about that. He's, he's saying, forget about the way that the Lord moved, forget about the way that he functioned in that, in that story. And what we're remembering, we're remembering God, making a way through the sea, giving a river or giving a path, giving a road through the sea. We were singing about that today, a road through the sea. He reverses it. When he says, forget about that, forget the former things. He says, I'm doing a new thing this time. I'm going to make a way in the wilderness and I'm going to make rivers in the desert. So I'm gonna do the opposite. Where there's dry, where there's desert, where there's wasteland, I'm gonna bring a river. I'm gonna bring the water. And he's saying, look to me, look for the new things that I'm going to do. Look for the ways in which I'm gonna do things new. I'm gonna do things, forget about the way I did things before, not about being the God who does new things, not about how God works, but the ways in which God works. He wants to do new things. He says in this verse 19, do you not perceive it? Do you not see it? And as we go through the the scriptures today and our time today, one of my prayers for us is that God will give us new eyes to see and perceive. This idea of perception is not just seeing something. It's actually seeing something and understanding what it means. It's not just observing something. Oh, I see that that's the case. But it's actually understanding what it means. If you're on the beach in Hawaii and you see that it starts snowing on you, you can observe snow and you you say, wow, that's snow. But your perception is all of a sudden, oh my goodness, what is it doing snowing on the beach, right? Your, under, your observation is different than your perception. And the Lord, I believe, wants to unlock new perception and new eyes to see. So today, as, as we focus on this, and as we go into this time and series of the Lord making all things new, my prayer is that he's going to give us new eyes to perceive, new eyes to see. And what I want to focus on today, I'm calling the title of my message today, Rivers in the Badlands. If you look at the message uh, interpretation of this passage, um, Eugene Peterson says that uh, he's going to give water in the badlands, or he's going to make rivers in the badlands, in the desert, in the wastelands. And that's my prayer for us today. We're, we're singing songs today about water and rain. And I believe the Lord has something that he wants us to see about rivers. I I think he wants to unlock things for us as it relates to rivers. So Jesus had this challenge in his time and in his day when he was ministering, when he was walking with his disciples and teaching, he encountered hindrances to seeing And I want to just go through a couple of those things, not hindrances in seeing what was going on, but hindrances to really understanding and perceiving what was happening. So I want to walk us through two examples of hindrances of seeing. The first is this example in Mark 4. And the scene is that in Mark 4, Jesus has just finished feeding 4,000 people in the crowd. And it says in Mark 8, verse 9, or if you could put that up. There we go. It says, oh, oh, actually I'll read uh, a little bit and I'll pick up, leave it there at verse 11, but I'm going to start back at verse nine. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. Immediately after this, he got into a boat with his disciples and crossed over to the region of uh, Dalmanutha. And this is where we pick up here in verse 11. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus arrived to this region, they came and started to argue with him, testing him. They demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. When he heard this, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, "Ah, why do these people keep demanding such a miraculous, demanding a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth. I will not give this generation any such sign. So he got back into the boat and left them and crossed to the other side of the lake but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. That's like me. I'm like, oh man, if you're traveling and you don't have food, it's frightening. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. As they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them. He says, watch out, beware. Those words right there, watch out, beware, they're sight words in the Greek. They're vision words in the Greek. What do you see? What do you perceive? You're watching out, you're being where? being cautious. I I have a friend, I won't name this person who's very cautious. He thinks that there should be an app called a fear app so that everything that you're ever afraid of, you could just go look at. Um, That's not this, but he's, he's saying, beware, be careful. Do you do that with your kids? Um, Kelsey this morning just left on a road trip. And, and as a dad, you're kind of like, man, you're 20 years old, go for it. And then as a dad, you're like, but let me tell you a few things to watch out for, right? Not everything. This was a 30-second or a one-minute conversation. Hey, beware of this. Beware of that. Watch out for this. Watch out for the big things. Not everything else. She can figure out when to get gas and how to run a GPS and do all that. But giving a few instructions, beware, watch out. And he says this, of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Now, you couldn't talk about two groups of people who disagree on more, those that follow Herod and those that follow the Pharisees, they don't agree on anything. If you read the New Testament, though, the only thing they agreed on at one point was killing Jesus. That was like one place of agreement they could come to. Pretty much everything else in their worldviews and in their lives, they didn't agree on. And you see Jesus saying, hey, beware. Beware beware of this yeast, these ideas, these, these worldviews that the Pharisees have, these worldviews that come from Herod that seep into the loaf of faith and change the whole thing and confuse the whole thing. Beware of these things. So he's talking about this, this really important thing. And this, then the disciples get a little confused at this. They begin to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread. And Jesus isn't talking about that. Jesus knew what they were saying. And he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? in that know or understand, are your hearts too hard to take it in? You have eyes. Can't you see? You have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with the loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterwards? This is a rhetorical thing, or this is a a call and response. They're like, 12, they said. And then I fed 4,000 with seven loaves. How many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? It's amazing how patient Jesus is in their lack of understanding. (laughs) He's patient with them, he's patient with them. But there's this idea that they're seeing these things, but they're not perceiving their impact. Like, I fed 5,000 people one time, and there were leftovers. I said, fed 4,000 people one time, and there were leftovers. And you're, like, worried that you only brought one loaf of bread with you. He's like, don't be worrying about that. Don't worry about that. Don't you understand? But he's like, but beware. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Beware of something else. But don't you understand? We have hindrances to seeing. We forget what God has done before. We, God does something and we really don't understand it. And he wants us to understand it. And he wants us to focus on and realize, what are the things I really should care about? What are the things that should be most important? Second example of a hindrance to seeing, a hindrance to perceiving
1: is in Luke 5. Hindrances that we can have to understanding what's happening. So in Luke
0: five, um, Jesus uh, has some people come up to him and says this. They say to him, "John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking." So there's this little bit of comparison going on, like, "Well, Jesus, these religious people do it this way; these religious people do it this way. Why don't your?" disciples do it this way. And then Jesus answers. He says, can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. What he's saying is that there's a timing thing. There's a, do you not understand the timing of what's going on? Do you not understand what's, what, where, where things are at the season that we're in? He tells him, and then he tells them this parable. He says, no one tears a piece out of a new garment to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No new new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new for they say the old is better. And hindrance, a hindrance that Jesus is identifying here is, is our challenge and our, uh, the things that we wrestle with in understanding the new things that the Lord wants to do. The old tastes better. The old tastes better. And he's saying, I'm doing something new. I'm not, John's time is, is diminishing. The Pharisees have their ways and their yeast and all of these things. And he's like, I'm doing a new thing. And hindrances to us pressing into and perceiving and seeing the new thing is an, it can be our wineskin perspectives can be that I want to keep the old garment, but put a new patch on it. I want to keep my old habits, and my old processes, my old ways of worship. That's what they were challenging Jesus, too, is that's how these different people worship. Why don't you guys worship that way? And he says, I'm doing a new thing. I'm pouring out new wine, new wineskins. And then he identifies this human condition that we all go, yeah, but the old is better. The old is better. It's more comfortable. It's what I'm used to. It's what I valued. It's how
1: I experienced it. It's these changes That Isaiah 43, I want to do a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you see it?
0: We can have different things that hold us back from seeing the new. We can demand a sign. Well, Lord, if I'm going to press into new things, I need a sign. He talked about the Pharisees having hard hearts. We can have hard hearts. We can forget what God's done before. Like, well, God... um, you know, it's a little bit like this idea of, well, you know, you you only get one shot at this. So it's like, if I came up to Steve and I'm like, Steve, I have $10,000 for you, just this one time. So you better tell me when you want it, it better be the right time because you're only going to get it one time. So Steve's going to wait. He's going to be like, is now the time? Is now the time? Is now the time? And then he and, and he's like, now's the time. And I'm like, all right, okay. In Steve's mind though, he's like, Aaron, will never do that again. I won't do it the first time either, but, <laughs> but he's like, all right, I blew my one shot. Sometimes we view that way with God. It's like, well, man, God fed 5,000 people. We better not ask him to do it again. Better not ask him to do 4,000. Better not ask him to take care of me, provide for me. The Lord is unlimitless, limitless, unlimited. That's a better word. Too many double negatives there. The Lord is unlimited in his resources, in provision, and what he wants to do over and over and over again. Faithful from generation to generation. I did it before, and forget how I did it before. I'm going to do it again. 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 And in these new seasons, we've got to be reminded, Lord, he's going to do it again. Signs and symptoms that we have trouble seeing We don't understand. We're comparing the old and the new. We have difficulty in receiving the new. We long for the old. It happens to us personally, doesn't it? It happens to us in different ways. It can happen to us as a group as well. I've had people ask questions about us as a local church. Like, what's going on? We've we've been around for 38 years and what's the Lord doing and what's happening next? And man, one of the things I'm most excited about from a, from a leadership team perspective as a church, man, we believe that we have amazing days ahead. We believe that the Lord is building something great here. And you know what? And, and, and other perceptions or other perspectives might be, well, it's different. Well, it's changed. Well, there's less of this. And you know what? It's like, yeah, those are all true. Those are all real but they're new wineskins. The Lord is doing something new in us. And eventually that new wineskins are gonna get seasoned and the wine's gonna, new wine's gonna become old and it's gonna taste better too, right? But man, I believe that the Lord is speaking that over our church as well. So he says, behold, I'm doing a new thing. Do you perceive it? Do you see it? He's gonna make rivers in the desert. He's gonna make rivers in the badlands, He's going to do amazing things. And so one of my prayers for us this morning is that we'll see in our own lives, we'll see, the Lord will open up our perceptions in new ways. As a church community, that the Lord
1: will give us new eyes to see what he's doing. The Lord is doing a new thing. So one of the hindrances that happened with Jesus's time
0: for people understanding what Jesus was doing and receiving what Jesus was doing, receiving the new thing was how they responded. And this is an interesting passage in Luke seven that we're going to look at how people responded to the ministry of John the Baptist. We don't often connect those things. We often think, man, if Jesus just showed up, that's all Jesus had to do is show up. Well, the, the, the scriptures are really clear about the idea of John the Baptist, a prophet coming before Jesus and not coming in a way that is quite normal, not normal at all. John is this uh, man who lives out in the desert, lives out in the wilderness, eats bugs, eats locusts and honey, doesn't really wear good clothes, not exactly kind of who you would hold up as a religious leader of the day. Jesus describes him as the greatest prophet ever, and John's in the wilderness, and he's got this ministry of calling people to repentance, and Jesus in Luke 7 is talking about John the Baptist, talking about how great John the Baptist was, uh, his ministry is. And then it, it's an interesting, Luke has an interesting editorial comment that he sticks right in there in verse 29. If we could put that up on the screen, he says this All the people who heard this, that's Jesus talking about John the Baptist, including the tax collectors, they must, they were the bad dudes of the day. They were acknowledged the justice of God because they had been baptized with John's baptism. But by refusing to be baptized by him, John, the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected God's purpose for themselves. It's an interesting passage, isn't it? It's an interesting editorial where there's this connecting of of people's ability to see God, acknowledge the justice of God, acknowledge who Jesus is, acknowledge Jesus' authority by their acceptance of John the Baptist. Interesting, isn't it? So the Pharisees, they rejected God's purposes for their lives. So I was thinking about, all week I've been thinking about this phrase and this idea of um, find me in the river. There's a really old delirious song from like 20 years ago. Those of you who are old like me and you appreciated delirious, they did a song about find me in the river. And um, John John the Baptist, in his ministry, he, he was out in the desert, out at the Jordan River, out, that's where his ministry was, and people went out to him in,
1: street, in in droves. People went out. They were hungry. They went out there. They went out there for what? Why did they go out there? How
0: is was their trip out to the wilderness, out to the river, out to see John, how is it connected to their ability to receive Jesus, to understand Jesus? There's a lot that's said about this. I'd like to connect our ability to see, our ability to perceive, our ability to see the new things that Jesus wants to do in us I want to connect it with us going down to the river. And then I couldn't help but think about Chris Farley living in a van down by the river. Um, That's not what I'm talking about because we're not going to live by the river in a van. We're going to go to the river. Again, you got to be old to appreciate that. So John, so Luke records this story uh, about John the Baptist and he talks about him and John's role. And Corky, I don't remember which verse I start with. So if you could just put that first slide up there, that'd be great. So there's this passage in Luke three that describes John the Baptist. And it says this about him. The message came from God to John, the son of Zachariah, who was living in the wilderness. And John went from place to place on both sides of the river, preaching that people should be baptized to show that they've repented of their sins and turned to God to be forgiven. Isaiah had spoken of John when he said this about John. He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and hills will be made level. The curves will be straightened. The rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. You see this ministry of John coming in and and bringing low places up and high places down and crooked places straight so that people can receive the ministry of Jesus. They can see What Jesus is doing. So it says in this, when the crowds came to John for baptism, how would you guys like this? He said, You brood of snakes, who warned you to flee this coming wrath? Wow, nice message, right? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, We're safe, for we're descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now, the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. So he's using these, this imagery of what repentance looks like. So then the crowds ask, okay, thanks for the imagery. The crowds ask now in verse 10, what should we do? We're coming out for repentance And I love how John the Baptist connects this idea of both repentance being an an action, an attitude, a mindset, but also a changing of ways. He says this, John replied, if you have two shirts, give one to the poor. If you have food, share it with those who are hungry. Even corrupt tax collectors came to be baptized and asked, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more taxes than the government requires what should we do? Asked some of the soldiers. John replied, don't extort money or make false accusations and be content with your pay. Man, you see almost this, this hunger in people. They're like, they're, they're going out to the river. They're going out to this place. And all of a sudden there's this, they're seeing God's justice. That's what we read back in Luke seven. They're seeing God's ways and God's justice. And they're saying, what does this mean for me? what do I do? What's the implication of this? And I love that John, he's like both in, in other passages um, uh, that record this, he focuses on repentance and baptism. And, and in Luke, Luke records also this change of way, this change of how people operate. And the Pharisees in Matthew, it's recorded that They they were just interested in observing what was happening. Like this was popular. This is what was going on. It was like the religious thing to come and observe. But there were lives and lives and lives and hundreds of thousands of people going out to the river and they're being drawn out there and they're being, they're leaving the safety of their homes and communities. They're leaving the religious structures and synagogues in Jerusalem. They're leaving those things behind and they're going out and there's a hunger in them. Lord, what is it you're saying? What is it that you want to do in me? What is it when we look at your justice? What does that look like in my life? They went out to a river. They went out to Jordan. They went out to a place that their people had come through before, hundreds of years before, as they came into the promised land. They went to the wilderness. There was this call for repentance, changing their minds, their thinking, their actions. This this river place, this place of the river, was they could see themselves differently. They could see the reality, the justice, the person of God. John addresses it. They could see the entitlement that they walked in. He says. Don't lean on being descendants of Abraham. It's like every every card they could pull out of their pocket, they're like, oh, well, you know, God's already chosen me. I'm all good. Even that, he said, don't lean on that. Don't lean on that identity. When they left this experience with John, they saw and they perceived differently. They saw the Lord differently. They saw themselves differently. They were ready, their eyes, they were ready to see Jesus coming. They were ready to experience Jesus. John was doing this pre-work, this pre-work of, of, of repentance in their lives, bringing things up, bringing things down, making things clear so that they could see. Even the tax collectors, even the, the people that, that were not considered religious at the day, they were seeing They were seeing. It was the religious people of the day who didn't want to receive the change. The religious people of the day didn't want to go to the river. They didn't want to experience this. They wanted to see it from afar. And there's something about going to the river that is very individual, isn't it? There's something about somebody can't go for you. Somebody can't bring back the teaching and teach it to you. People are making these journeys out. Even Jesus went out to the river. Even Jesus went out to the river. And we, we know the, the recording of that is that when he comes out of the water, the Lord is like, I'm so pleased. I'm so pleased with you. And the Lord is doing a new thing. How do we engage with it? How does the Lord bring new sight to us? How does he bring new eyes to see? I want to suggest one pattern we see in scripture is this idea of coming to a place of coming to the river. I'm not saying that you need to be baptized. I don't mean that, but if you need to be baptized, be baptized. But this idea of coming out to the river, leaving our communities and our synagogues and our religious places and coming to this place of saying of this place of hunger this place of seeing the Lord for ourselves, this place of repentance. Lord, what do you see in me that you want to change my heart, my attitude, my, my mindset? What is it that you want me to go physically change? I've cheated people. I've spoken badly to people. I've hurt people. I've, I've done, done done. What is it, Lord, that you want to set right in me? We don't, this isn't about earning salvation. This isn't about another religious duty. This is about responding to the hunger. Responding to what the Lord wants to do. The Lord wants to open our eyes to see. I want to say we need a river worldview. We need a worldview that comes out of the river. It's not set in religious institutions. It's not set in these different places. It's set in this place of we, there's one baptism we all participate in. At the river, we're all, all of us, we all have our feet in the mud. We all get soaking wet.
1: We need a world view that comes from the place of the river. I love how this goes on, because Jesus's and John's ministries looked so
0: different. They looked so different. And Jesus addresses this, and so what do we perceive? What do we see? Um,
1: in Luke seven it says this.
0: Oh, I'm going to keep reading. We started with this passage earlier, but I'm going to read this and then keep going this time. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they'd not been baptized by John. So he goes on to say more after this. He says, Jesus went on to say, to what then can I compare the people of this generation, the people he's talking to? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. We played the pipe for you. You did not dance. We played a, a sang a dirge for you, and you did not cry. So I'll pause there for just a second. It's like with a kid, right? It's like, man, what's going to make them happy? It's like, oh, do you want to dance? Do you want to cry? What do you want to do? That's kind of the idea behind this. And then he says this for John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all her children. Jesus is saying, Man, when when your eyes are open, when you can see, you can see what the Lord is doing in the wilderness and what what the Lord was doing with John and John's weird ways. Right. I mean, that's John was weird and that was a weird prophetic thing that John was doing. Why did God do it that way? Man, I wish he didn't do it that way. Certainly isn't. We don't really have many churches like that. Do we like show up and, um, people walk in and you're like, you brood of vipers, welcome you snakes. And, you know, kind of the toga of animal skin and we just don't have that. He was weird. But this idea that our perception, our understanding of what God is doing, you can see it in the ministry of John and you can see it in the ministry of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, wisdom is proved by all its children. All of the expressions of what the Lord is doing, the new wine, the old wine, what the Lord wants to do, what God did with John, and then the ministry that Jesus came, he wants us to be able to see and receive. Jesus came differently than John. Jesus in his ministry represented a new wineskin, but it looked different to John's. It looked different to the, than the Pharisees. It looked different. When God's doing new things, new things require new perspective, new wineskins. And I've just been thinking, um, even as for us as a church, as we were worshiping last Sunday, I think Leslie had a word, um, a John the Baptist word of like, Lord, I want to go deeper. I want new encounters. I want to go to new places. Lord, take us to new places, new encounters, new depth, new experiences. I wanna suggest, spend some time in the river in your life right now. What does it mean to go to the river? What does it mean to go and leave all of these other things behind and just encounter the Lord at the river? A place of repentance, a place of new sight, a place of
1: change, a place of encounter. The Lord wants to give us new perspective. Jesus spent so much time trying to bring new perspective
0: and new understanding about who he was. I was just studying this week in the book of John. It's amazing when you study just even the first seven chapters of John, there's this constant comparison of Jesus being greater. It's always greater. And it all has to do with water. I'm not making this stuff up. It's all about the river. Um, it's interesting in John 1 there's a comparison between John's baptism by water and Jesus's baptism by the spirit. In John 2, we see Jesus change water to wine. In John 3, we hear about being born naturally of water and being born of the spirit. In John 4, Jesus encounters the Samaritan woman at the well. And she's talking about this water that's come up, this ancient well of theirs. And Jesus says, yeah, but I'm going to give you a spring of water that comes up in you that'll never run dry. In John 5, there's, there's, uh, there's someone who's sitting by the pool waiting to get healed. And Jesus comes in and he's like, I can't get healed because I can't get in the water. And Jesus is like, well, do you want to be healed? And he's like, yeah. So Jesus heals him and he doesn't get in the water. Jesus is greater than the water. In John 6, Jesus walks on the water. He has this time in which, you know, Moses, he was okay. He parted the Red Sea and they walked through it. Jesus is like, well, actually, I'm going to walk on it. it, was, it was, he was one-upping Moses. I actually think that. I think John was thinking that if you read all of John 6, Jesus was one-upping Moses in walking on the water. John 6, John 7. Jesus shows up at the feast of tabernacles and this is the feast. And this is the time in which they would, they would come together. And for seven days, the priests would bring out water and pour it on the altar and bring out water and pour it on the altar. And a lot of the imagery has to do with this idea of water flowing from the temple, water, the the living water flowing from the temple. Well, on the eighth day, they don't bring out water. And it's the end of the feast. And that's when Jesus gets up at the end of the feast on the eighth day. And he says that he, that rivers of living water are going to flow from him. We'll read it um, exactly here in just a minute. It says this, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who's thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him, but the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet entered into his glory. So you have this imagery of now Jesus saying, if you're thirsty, come to me. You have Jesus saying, he's the new temple. He's coming and replacing this temple completely. And the water is is flowing out of him. In every way, Jesus is like, I'm the water that doesn't run dry. I'm the spring that doesn't run dry. I'm going to give you the spirit. What was natural is supernatural. Jesus is always bringing this next level. God's doing new things. And these new things are these rivers of living water that he has for us. So we go to the river Places of repentance, places of, Lord, um, of leaving things behind. What is it that we need to repent of? What is it that we need to lay behind? What is, what is it that we need to lay down to have this focus to be able to perceive? And then Jesus is standing up. The second perspective of, of allowing us to see and perceive is that Jesus is our living water. Jesus is the living water. We don't need more. Jesus is standing up at the temple and saying, it it all flows out of me. Anyone who's thirsty, come to me, believe in me, drink of me. And what he tells the Samaritan woman is if you drink of me, you won't be thirsty. Indeed, the water that Jesus gives will become in us a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In that John passage, it also says that rivers of letting water will flow from us, flow out of us. Man, I, we were walking. I was walking on Thursday. Eric, Eric and I went for a hike up to Bells Canyon, if you guys ever been up there. And uh, we got up there, and the reservoir is low. So we just sat on a rock and we started praying, Lord, we need snow, we need water, we need rain, fill our reservoirs, we need it, we're praying. And as we're praying, um, we kind of, we're done and some guy comes walking by and we just say hello and he stops and starts talking to us. And all of a sudden he starts opening up and he starts talking about how he'd just been up in the field meditating and the sun came down and, and Eric started talking to him about, wow, what do you think about Jesus being the son of God? Eric opens up this beautiful conversation with this guy and he starts opening up and he says, well, you know, I I grew up in the LDS faith tradition and then I became an agnostic. Then I became an atheist. And one day when I was meditating as an atheist, God started speaking to me. And, I, and it was a pretty amazing. And we, we just sat there and listened to him tell this story. And then he started saying, well, all of a sudden I'm like, I, I, in my mind, I'm an atheist, but why is God talking to me? This doesn't compute. This doesn't connect. So he said, well, I started talking, calling God the others. So God was interacting with him. And I, and I said, you know, it's interesting that one of the definitions of holiness is that God is completely other to us. I said, so it's kind of cool that you were naming an attribute of God as the others. I'm not sure that's what he meant. But we just kept talking and talking and talking. And he said his name was James. I said, oh, wow, man, you got a whole book in the Bible just to yourself. And he's like, oh, really? I was like, yeah, maybe you should read that. That would be cool. And he went on, he went on his way. And, but he said, man, this was a, he, he recognized this as a moment of time in which he was like, wow. Kind of like he was supposed to be there. Kind of like he was supposed to run into Eric and I. Eric opening up the conversation about the son, the son of God. I'm talking to other people who are just having these experiences with people who are asking about the Lord and wanting to know, what is this life? What what is this? I think there's a time now where people are open more than ever. They want to know. They want to know. And one of the things that I think is part of this new thing that the Lord is doing is that he wants to us to see his kingdom like a river of life. You know, when I use that word, sometimes kingdom gets really used and abused. Like, oh man, well, you know, it's authority and it's discipline and structure and laws and all those kinds of things. And I think Jesus is describing this river of living water that's flowing out of him. And when we think about the rivers of living water flowing out of us, When we think about the kingdom, where we work, where we walk, who we talk to, the rivers of life flowing out of us. That's what Jesus
1: said the Holy Spirit would do in us, would give rivers of life to flow out of us.
0: As we drink of Jesus, as we come to Jesus as that source of life, as that source of water, he becomes a spring inside of us living water that flows out of us. And it made me think of this picture that we've maybe read in Ezekiel 47. There's also a similar picture in Revelation 22 where it's talking about this vision, this this city of God, this temple of God. What does this river look like? And I just want to read some verses to you and suggest what this river could look like.
1: Could you put that up, Corhi, Ezekiel 47? Yeah, there it is. So, this
0: the prophet is experiencing this vision and this picture. And when he's been given this picture of the temple and this river flowing out of it, um, there's this progression. Of, of, of it getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And it says this in verse seven, when I arrived there and, and I saw this river, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, the angel that was with him, this water flows towards the Eastern region and goes down into the Araboth, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into
1: the sea, the salty water there becomes Fresh. Next verse, please. Swarms of living creatures will live
0: wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore from Engedi to En There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds like the fish of the Mediterranean of the sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for the salt. Gotta have salt on your food, right? Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for the food, for food and their leaves for healing. God wants to do new things. God wants to bring new life. Behold, he wants to bring rivers in the badlands, rivers in the wasteland, rivers in the desert. And this river... This river of the kingdom of God, this river that's inside of us, the river that we get to drink of that's in Jesus, these rivers that are inside of us, how do they flow out into lives that bring beauty, that bring fruit trees, that bring healing, that bring fishing, that bring, turn dead salty water into fresh water. They bring transformation. And I believe that that's a picture of the kingdom that the Lord wants us to have. That as we see, behold, see, I do a new thing, perceive that I do a new thing. The Lord wants to say, where
1: does the rivers of God that lives inside of us, where are they meant to go out? What are they meant to do? I love uh, our freedom ministry. It used to be called Cleansing Streams years ago.
0: And um, I think our title is much better now. It's a freedom ministry. But it's this idea of the river of God coming and bringing freedom. Where there's been death, where there's been bondages, where there's been curses. It, you, it's, it's like a Lord of the Rings scene where you just see the water come and transform the environment. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. That's what we get to do as we participate with the Holy Spirit. So as I close this morning, I want to pray for this. I want to pray for this. New things begin in the river. Our ability to have our eyes opened at at the water banks is where Jesus' disciples were commissioned, where Jesus taught. Where there's life and there's healing. We walk into new seasons and we have a worldview that goes through the river. The Lord invites us to come out to the river. He invites us to repent. He invites us to change. He invites us to be hungry and thirsty for Him, to leave and to go out to the river. New things begin in the river. Secondly, new things don't look like old things. But when you've been in the river, you can see the new things. The Pharisees couldn't see the new things because they hadn't been in the river. Jesus is our river of life. We don't need to look somewhere else. Jesus, he says, come to me, drink of me. You're never going to thirst again. He stood in the place of that religious practice. He stood in the place of the temple and said, drink of me. All things are made new by the river and the river is made to flow out of us. Amen. So why don't you stand? I just want to pray and declare over us what it says in Isaiah 43. It says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I'll make a way in the wilderness and deserts in the desert, rivers in the desert. Lord, we just pray that you're going to make rivers in the, in the desert, in the badlands, in the wastelands of our life. You come and you bring life so abundantly, just like we read in Ezekiel. There's fruit trees and there's fish and there's salty water that's turned to fresh. You restore, you renew, you bring life. Lord, you say you bring food for us to eat. You say the leaves are for healing, the healing of the nations, Lord, we just thank you for the new things that you want to do in us. And Lord, we, we hear your call to come out to the river, to come out and, and be personal and intimate with you, to repent and to turn and to go into that water and be changed, to see new. Lord, would you give us eyes to see as a church what you're doing with us as a community? Lord, we thank you that you're doing a new thing with new wineskins and new wine. You're doing it in new ways. And you call called us to be this river of life. And I just speak to that. I speak to the, the tree bank, the trees that are gonna grow here, the fruit that's gonna come here, the leaves that are gonna come here, the fish that are gonna come here, Lord. I just speak life and declare life over this place in Jesus' name. Lord, and I thank you for that guy, James, that Eric and I got to minister to and be with and learn from on Thursday. Holy Spirit, you're running after him. You're pursuing him. You're talking to him as an atheist because that's just what you do. And Lord, we just pray that your rivers of life would flood into him and that you would produce that beautiful landscape, that beautiful picture in his life. Lord, we pray it for every person that we're around, for our workplaces, for the people that come into our homes, for the people that we know. Lord, how do you want to pour out your rivers of life into their lives? How do you want to use us to do it? We just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would, our view of the kingdom would be this river of life that flows in the land and the places that we live. Let your river flow, in Jesus' name, amen.